As a business leader, you know attracting top talent is just the beginning. Real growth happens when you lead yourself and others well. Creating a company culture that attracts, nurtures, and retains the best of all things. We'll teach you how to make an impact through a holistic leadership approach. Reframing success in leadership. This is the Talent Magnet Institute podcast with your host, Mike Sipple Jr. Today, we are with Todd Oderstadt to discuss the characteristics of successful entrepreneurs and executive leadership. Listeners, Todd and I hope this conversation helps you step up, scale yourself, your team, and your company, helping you succeed in relationships, work, community, and life. First and foremost, Todd, I want to thank you for your service as a commissioned military intelligence officer in the U.S. Army. Thank you so much for your service. Oh, thanks, Mike. It was my pleasure. And also, those who do not know Todd, I'm sure today there's going to be people that are a part of Todd's tribe with from founder to CEO. He's the co-founder and CEO of that organization. He's also the co-founder and CEO of an executive coaching firm called Baker and DeBall, a mentor with Centrifuge, Ocean Accelerator, and an inspiration to many all around the world. So it is a pleasure to have you in the Talent Magnet Institute podcast studio today. Well, Mike, thanks for inviting me. I consider it an honor to be here with you. It is our pleasure. So, Todd, can you share a little bit with our listeners as to what led you into such a deep passion for helping entrepreneurial leaders succeed? Could you walk us through that a little bit? Well, as you mentioned, we have a boutique executive coaching firm, Baker and Nabal, that focuses on traditional executive coaching for corporations and mid-sized businesses. And around 2012, we started getting phone calls from CEOs of startups in the Midwest. Because during that time period, you know, because we both live in Cincinnati, Ohio, Mm -hmm. that a lot of the accelerators and incubators were spawning successful businesses that were beginning to scale and they were beginning to encounter some of the issues you and I know about as a leader when the organization scales. And so there was this one person who left Procter & Gamble and she wanted me to coach her and I gave her our traditional proposal for executive coaching but it was too expensive Mm. and it wasn't set up in a way for the modern founder. And I was frustrated because I really wanted to help her, Mm. but our business model wasn't set up in such a way to be able to help her. And the growing number of phone calls that we were getting from founders of fast growth businesses that frequently more and more infused by tech. Mm -hmm. So instead of creating a whole business first, I started, was listening to podcasts and I told my colleagues, you know what, why don't I just create a podcast for founders, but let's do it differently. Instead of the hero's journey of the entrepreneur that you see on Fast Company and Entrepreneur Magazine and Inc. Magazine, let's get them to be real about their issues on the journey from founder to CEO Mm -hmm. so that other founders can hear real stories, real issues about leading yourself, leading others, and leading the team. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, it took off. (laughs) And so we didn't really kind of stake out a very profound business plan. We just wanted to be able to provide a resource to founders who kept calling us and saying, hey, you know what? Just listen to this podcast. Other founders are going to tell you how to handle some of the things that wow. they, they were handling. So over the course of time, it took on speed. And then they asked us, well, what else do you have to help us? And then we started a group called Trail Team 10, which is basically a group of 10 founders from different cities. And I facilitate the group. We were talking about before about Zoom. We use Zoom to help facilitate. So it was not born out of a grand plan. It was born out of just responding to what the marketplace was asking us to do Hmm. and be helpful. And because I started out as a broadcast journalist, it kind of seemed natural 
to use this emerging platform called podcasting to help them out. So going in, you were doing it to, boy, this could be another way I could get great content and share stories and journeys that other people can learn from. Did you have any other main thesis on what you would experience when you interviewed these entrepreneurs? And did that turn out to be true or has it been very different? So because I come from traditional professional services firm, executive coaching, I had some theses about you know, what the experience of a founder is, that it might be similar. One of my very big insights was that it's very different now. And so I'll give you the example. You and I live in Cincinnati, so we know Procter & Gamble. I'm sure you've worked Mm -hmm. with them and we've worked with them as well. And eventually, if you're a business in Cincinnati, you might, you know, end up working with them. Mm -hmm. They spend an enormous amount of money on developing their leaders in an enormous amount of time. But we as a society expect founders to scale themselves as a leader, mm-hmm. simultaneous to scaling a business mm-hmm. like history has never had before. Mm-hmm. And it is overwhelming. And so I get all these phone calls from founders, you know, Todd, I'm overwhelmed, I'm stressed. Their mental and physical health is often at risk mm-hmm. so that we can benefit from the things that they create. Mm-hmm. And so suddenly I found myself really passionate about kind of their unique story. So what I learned was it is very different. And their issues and their concerns are very different. It's a new wave of, quote, unquote, the small business leader. But frequently that you can't call them a small business leader because their businesses scale globally Mm -hmm. and fast. So I think that was the very first thing as I said to myself, you know, their experience is very different. And we began to notice more and more some of the nuances of that as we Mm -hmm. went along. So I guess that was the first thing I noticed is that thinking that it's the same as an SMB or small business leader is not. It's very, very different. So, and I love the concept and the stories that you pull out on your podcast from founder to CEO, because you're walking people through, and some people have stories from their last three failures that led to the current area of success that they're in. Yes. But walking people again from founder to becoming CEO what would you say are some of the pivots there, some of the challenges that you see consistently show up as someone who created a great idea, yeah. maybe now has three to 15 people working for them and has an opportunity in front of them to elevate the business? What are some of the fears that people see or mm. things that you've experienced? Yeah, there's a lot of fears. And one of the first things I would tell you is that many of them try to cover up their fears because many of them are venture-backed or C-backed, angel-backed companies they feel it's very difficult to share their vulnerabilities Mm. because if it gets back to an investor or their team, people call into question because of the speed of growth, right? Mm -hmm. So I think one of the big issues is that their fear and anxieties are very real and they don't like to articulate them very much. Mm -hmm. But in terms of like, you know, what does the founder do and the CEO do and, you know, that transition, as you mentioned, very first and foremost, founders have this very powerful emotional energy about what can be that doesn't exist now. Hmm. And that initial team of people and any of the stakeholders surrounding them feed off of that emotional energy. It could be they want to disrupt an entire industry like we often hear and see in the headlines. Mm -hmm. It could simply be their social entrepreneur. And they want to, as one founder on my show, wants to eradicate human trafficking. And as a social entrepreneur, he's developed a business to be able to help do that. Or any other big ticket item. Founders today, they want to change things. Mm. You know, they want to be able to have a very impactful presence in their communities, in their state, in their regions, in their country. And that emotional energy 
is so important mm. for the founder to translate into a communication vehicles mm. that fuel those initial individuals because they have to get over, as you know, an intense amount of hurdles mm -hmm. all the time. The hurdles are huge. When you have a, a professional services firm like we have and like you have, you can get by and slowly grow over the course of time. But when you have a tech-infused business that could be changed in three months because someone else comes with something different, it's entirely different type of stress. Mm -hmm. So that emotional energy of the founder is so critical. And how they communicate that is so big because they wear many hats too. Right. They're doing so many things. Mm -hmm. But the first big pivot that I see is this mental shift from the focus of that emotional energy on the product or the service and lifting it and shifting it over to the emotional energy of building the team that focuses on that product or service. Mm. So while you find lots of founders who are product founders, for example, and if it's a software as a service company, which is a traditional one right now, they're really passionate about creating that software. They're probably even a developer themselves. And being able to extract them from working on that up into focusing on developing and coaching individuals on the team, mm -hmm. finding the right team members, hiring is a big issue. You know this mm -hmm. for many of them. So I think that is the first big pivot that I see is shifting that emotional energy about the product or the service over to building the team. Mm -hmm. It's probably the first I one. had the opportunity last, I believe, November timeframe to speak at a entrepreneurial conference led by Ocean. Oh, yeah. And to come in and talk about culture and leadership, yeah, right? That so many are in the mindset of just getting whatever they're working on off the ground and into the hands of potential customers that they're not thinking about what culture am I creating? Mm -hmm. How am I leading people? What's a strategy, right? They know the end goal, but designing. And I think what you mentioned with investors is so key that they may not have their own board and a great opportunity is to join a roundtable program like right. Trail Team 10 or to form some type of board of advisors that are not investors Absolutely. so that they have a place to go because it is lonely at the top for mid-market business owners, large publicly traded companies, as well as founders of entrepreneurial startups or now could be very successful businesses, but they don't know who to share and how to be safe with. And they need the ideas and perspectives, not from an investor standpoint, yeah. but from a business leadership standpoint. What was one of the theses of your talk on that day? That so that culture is important. And how did everyone uh, respond to that? And it was a overwhelming response. Yeah, yeah. I had a lot of people come back and say, wow, thank you. I haven't thought about that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I've been in the trenches and have my blinders on and I've not been thinking about the way I'm leading others. I've just been showing up every day with as much energy as I can bring. Right. Right. And so it very much aligns with what you just referenced. Yeah. I appreciate you saying that because I think that's another one that happens when they get to be about between 20 and 30 employees is where I notice the wheels start falling off mm. because there's an intentionality that has to occur about building a culture much to what you just said, mm -hmm. which is why I'm not surprised that they were you mm -hmm. know, excited about talking about that topic because you have to be intentional about creating a culture because a culture exists already in any organization. And frequently the founder of a fast growth business has an outsized influence on the culture that exists. Mm -hmm. And whether or not that's the right culture for continued growth is the question mm -hmm. and being intentional. In fact, I'm trying to remember who it was I interviewed a couple of weeks ago on my show 
But they said when they got to 25 employees, they had to get rid of one third of their employees mm. because they weren't aligned with the culture that they needed to have in order to grow. In order to elevate. Yeah. Yeah. Which you see all the time in your work. In your yeah. work, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You get the phone calls to find these people. Yeah. Yeah. And you look at organizations that may be very successful sitting, have been successful, what I would say, creating a lifestyle business. Yeah. It's when they really want to scale. Right that the mindset of a lifestyle business and the mindset of a organization that just got acquired and we're going to take it from 30 to 300 million, very different culture, very different type of leadership style. And you tend to find, and you mentioned that many founders are in the trenches of their business. You find that it's a house of cards. How do you not set up your organization to be, if you are removed? Yeah that everything else crumbles. Well, it's so funny you say that because I've interviewed so many people now, like stories and people's storylines come to my mind. I had this woman, Laura Roder. She's the founding CEO of Edgar, mm -hmm. which is a social media management tool that I actually use. Mm -hmm. She was on my show about a year and a half ago when she had 13 employees. And she came on again a couple of weeks ago. And now she has 23 or 24, I think, employees. Her whole attitude, her whole perspective on growing the business is very different now. Mm -hmm. And much the way you just described, that's why it reminded me of that. And even to the point where she was talking about delegation when we first talked about how, well, I just really believe it's about empowerment, right? Mm -hmm. Well, when she has close to 25 employees now, she was talking about, well, you know, process and structure and delegation. You hear the mental mm -hmm. shift that occurs mm -hmm. when you start having different size organization, much mm -hmm. to your point. Mm -hmm. And that transformation is fun to see in people. If they'd opt in to continue to want to be CEO, because right. that's the part of our show is that we don't assume, I mean, you can decide not to be the CEO of your company. Right. But if you continue either to say yes or just go along with the punches, you got to opt in yeah. because it's serious business. Absolutely. I love the part, Todd, on your from founder to CEO manifesto. One, yeah. I love that you have a manifesto. Oh, <laughs> so, but the quote, by the time the ventures were three years old, 50% of the founders were no longer CEO. Yep. In four years, only 40% were still in the corner office and fewer than 25% of the founders led the companies to initial public offering. Yeah. Right. And that's okay. Yeah. You can still be an investor in your business right. and get the right professional management in to help elevate and get you to the next level. I agree. And those stats come from Noam Wasserman's research and in the book, The Founder's Dilemmas, which is a really great book. And he walks through those steps that founders frequently have to ask themselves. One of them was which that we just talked about, which is deciding whether or not you want to be a leader. He calls it as, do you want to be king or do you want to be, basically, do you want to continue to lead or do you want to be wealthy? Because yeah. a lot of these founders, their wealth that they build, as you know, was mm -hmm. in the business and it's not liquid mm -hmm. until they can build it big enough that's sustainable and potentially yeah. someone wants to buy it or they get it residuals from it. Yeah. So a question on yep. in terms of moving into CEO focus, and you referenced the founder of, is it Meet Edgar? Yes. Yeah. Yep. So you go from, you know, get the product off the, sh you know, whatever that product might look like, whether yep. that's technology or consumer goods or what have you. If you think about revenue and customers, culture and team, growth, funding, succession, you know, I've heard many say that if you're a founder focusing on your exit, 
yeah. you'll never succeed, <laughs> right? Because there's so many other elements. It's sexy to exit. Right. But the reality is only a few exit. Yeah. Right. And usually the ones that exit that we see on a Wall Street Journal or Entrepreneur Magazine or Fast Company, they never created it just to exit. They created it because they had something they thought could change the world. Yeah. Right. So where do you see the most successful CEOs when you talk to them and coach them and work with them? What are they most focused on? They're fanatical about their customers and helping their customers. You know, maybe I have like an old world view of business, but I always thought businesses just exist to be able to help other people improve their lives anyway. Mm -hmm. And I think the best, most successful founders are absolutely fanatical about improving the lives of the people they serve and how they serve them. Mm -hmm. And that's an attitude that they imbibe and live every day. It's part of their culture. Mm -hmm. And along with that, they suddenly realize in order to make that happen, they get the very best people who also believe that, and they're able to coach and guide them as individuals and bring them together as a team to be able to focus like a laser beam on their customers. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's just the long-term look on how are we improving our customers' lives and how is that shifting in the marketplace for us to be able to respond to their changing needs. I mean, there's plenty of examples for that. And I think as I reflect and Think about that question that you're asking me. I'm thinking about all the founders on my show, some of which who have not made it mm -hmm. and who are no longer in business and reflecting upon some of their attitudes is the ones that you said, they really focus on an outcome for themselves as opposed to an outcome mm -hmm. for their customers. And I just think that's the secret sauce right there because obviously the customers pay the bills. Yeah, right. absolutely. I mean, what do you think about that? I mean, yeah, I think if you look at that, in order to truly be successful in anything, you have to feel a heart commitment. Yeah. And if you don't know, if you don't feel that heart commitment, you'll eventually wear out. Yeah. Right. The energy won't be there to get up tomorrow and put your feet on the ground and make things happen. So I would say that that, again, it's a misconception that, oh, I'm going to start something to sell it and make millions of dollars. Right. And, you know, that's not the reality. And that's not the reality of how most people get there. Yeah. If you look, you know, in our practice, focus heavily on middle market family owned and privately held companies and also private equity owned, but typically in that first or second generation transaction. Mm. And you can sit down with a $300 million business, their owner or the family, and they just did it because they believed it was the best thing to do to serve a need. Yeah. And 36 years later, or maybe 75 years later and three generations later, they're still just believing that our business can still change the world and there's a need. Right, right. Um, you know, they're not doing it to sell the company. Now it provides wealth. And they usually find their heart in it most for their employees as well. Yes. Right? That their family, quote unquote, is really their community that they employ and they've seen generations go through. So they still have that heart in their purpose and why and now what our wealth can do for me, but how our wealth can change a community and can employ people and help other people find their own success. Well, you know, when I hear you talk, I'm often reminded, I mean, I know your father started the business and you're taking over the business over the years. And when I hear you and your dad talk all the time in the community, you remind me of my interview with Kip Tyndall, the founder and CEO of the container store because he felt the same way. You know, I mean, he was so focused. He saw this need 
for people to be able to organize all the junk that they have in their houses. But he was, over the course of time, he became fanatical about building his team and creating a wonderful experience for people coming to their stores. Mm -hmm. And when I had him on my show, he just, he made me teary-eyed just about his so focus on that. And he wrote a book about it called Uncontainable, mm. where he kind of outlined some of those values. Um, mm. And whenever I hear your dad talk and I hear you talk, I'm often reminded it's very similar to what exactly what you just said. And mm -hmm. people like Kip Tindall, who were very successful with the company. Yeah, the container thank store. you for that. If you, you know, the conversation, <laughs> the need today for a business like ours exists even more than it did 43 years ago yeah. is kind of the heart and belief we have, yeah. right? That there's a special place and that's where a business like ours was formed. And here we are 43 years later, moving into technically third generation ownership. My dad was the first employee oh. of a husband and wife. Not many know this. I didn't know this part. <laughs> so a husband and wife, Jim and Mary Moore, started our company. Um, they moved back to Cincinnati from Pittsburgh with the hope to create a search firm that was about helping businesses achieve their next chapter of successes, not placing people, right. helping businesses achieve their next chapter of successes. My dad was their first employee. Oh, I didn't know that part. Um, the oh. founder, yeah. Jim, died in 1980 in a fatal accident. Oh. My dad was asked by Mary, who was also active in the business, to take over the organization and serve as the firm president. Mm. Um, and there were multiple partners by that time. But my dad was in it because he believed in what Jim and Mary had pitched as the vision. Yeah. And the reason why I believe most people don't know that is because my dad has always treated it like his business. Mm. And our team members treat it like it's theirs too, mm. right? But again, we still see the greatest need today as you know, existed 43 years ago <laughs> to help change Amazing, lives yeah. and help companies achieve their next story of growth and success. And a lot of that becomes personal, not just professional, yeah. right? So the Talent Magnet Institute podcast, we talk about reframing success in leadership and helping leaders succeed in relationships, work, community, and life. Uh -huh. If you get the relationships piece right, you get a lot of the other aspects right. Yeah, things right? fall into place. Things fall into place. Yeah. yeah. So can you share a little bit about the self-evaluation or you know, individuals who think they're on top of the world mm. and realize, you know, maybe I do have gaps. Maybe I do have weaknesses. Maybe I do have strengths that I'm overusing, or maybe I need to get out of the way from my own self and let my team lead and let other people lead. There's got to be some self-reflection that you've hit and talked about and have even coached through of like, how do you help people know their selves better mm. and recognize when it's time to create that next level of management team or bring in the next president and step out and be the chief technical officer or the chief marketing officer. Could you share a little bit about that? Yeah, I'm sitting here thinking that, you know, in my work with founders, it's very reactive because things move so fast. Something happens to trigger the need. Mm -hmm. I wish it would be much more proactive, but they're very busy wearing many hats, growing the business. And so I'm thinking in my mind all the kind of the triggers also that prompt people to suddenly have to look at themselves yeah. and ask them a question. In the founder world, if you're VC funded, you know, one of the things I'm sensitive to is that the investors ripping the founder out without any warning or notice because they say they can no longer leave the company, but they never help them do the things that you just mentioned yeah. about being reflective about where they're at and helping them grow. So, you know, I think one of the very simple things 
that I often tell lots of founders to do. Some like to do it, some don't based on their interest. And that is simply debrief the experiences you're having. I have a friend, Perry Carrison, who likes to say, life is a debriefable event. And I think it's true. I mean, but how does a founder who's very busy do that if they don't have a trusted person to talk to? Like you mentioned, if they're not on a round table Mm -hmm. or a mastermind group or anything like that. Well, you can journal about your experiences. I mean, like once a week, whatever that day of the week is for you, just simply journal about some of the things that happen. So, for example, because founders are very busy, they always say to me, well, Todd, what should I journal about? And I always say four questions that I brought with me because that people tell me that really works. And that is, what am I feeling grateful about? Right? Because inherent in that is some feelings of emotions about positive things happening. What am I feeling optimistic about? What am I still wondering about? Like, what's lingering in my mind? And what am I feeling discouraged about? Hmm. Because in reality, founders and any leader frequently nowadays, but especially founders, they are so busy that being able to slow down their brain just to answer those four questions and write those answers down is a huge undertaking. Hmm. But all of a sudden, you kind of sort through your feelings and your thoughts and ideas. Things become a little bit clearer. And I think the biggest gift that a founder or any leader can give their business Mm -hmm. is the gift, first and foremost, of their own mental and physical health. And the second thing is their own clarity Mm -hmm. about themselves and where the business is at. And in order to get that clarity, to your point, you have to become self-aware about what's running around in your head and slow down enough. So that's one very simple thing that can be done. And that is journal at least once a week. If those four questions don't work for you, you can come up with, you know, other questions that work. But I have found that those four questions are a great resource. Yeah. The second thing is interview other people. Hmm. Put yourself out there. Be vulnerable. Do your own 360. You know, we do a lot of 360 work with our clients. And for those in the audience who don't know what 360 is, it's just basically surveying people around you, stakeholders around you and your business. And, you know, it costs a lot of money to do a 360, even if you're doing a quantitative 360 that you can use online. But there's nothing stopping a founder or any leader going around saying, I'm putting myself out there. I want to be vulnerable. I truly want to understand how I'm performing in your eyes. What are the behaviors that are working for you in your eyes? What are the behaviors that are not working for you in your eyes? And doing your own 360 by interviewing other people. Who says that can't be done? Mm -hmm. I see a lot of successful founders do that because they say to themselves, I don't have all the answers and I want to get better at this job. And oh, by the way, expectations of me when we had five employees are very different now than I had 15. And I'm struggling with that. And I want to know what I need to be doing differently at this stage of growth in the organization. Mm -hmm. Those two things, Mm -hmm. Mike, I think are just transformational But we think we need to go look elsewhere and out all these other places to find those answers. We don't necessarily have to do that. Mm -hmm. That's my thought. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that. I know the journaling component helps almost completely mentally. It resets your thought processes. Yes. Right? Because every week, all of us accomplish something. Yes. And of course, there's always additional things on a to-do list that are running through our mind. The beauty is when you journal, you get it out of your mind and onto paper. Exactly. And sometimes you acknowledge <laughs> that, wow, I just wrote over the last couple of weeks, I wrote 36 things down. I focused on six Yeah. because I can't focus on 36 things. Yeah. Right. What are the three this week that I can achieve and go after? And it really helps slow your mind down 
so that you can be more focused and not so frazzled or frayed in your mental ability. I totally agree. And, you know, there's another unintended benefit. I'll just tell you about myself. About a year and a half ago, I was downtown Cincinnati. I was having a bad week. And Washington Park is a new park that we have in Cincinnati. And it's glorious. You know, it's just mm-hmm. a wonderful park. And I remember just sitting there on a bench and I said, you know, what? it's time to do my journaling this week and answering these questions that I shared with you. And so I wrote them down. And a couple of weeks ago, fast forward, you know, a year and a half later, a couple of weeks ago, I was looking at my old book and I was paging through some things. I said, oh, let me read through that. Oh, wow. I've, you know, I've come a long way from those issues that I was dealing with. And I felt a little bit good about myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I'm a founder as well. And I have to monitor my own capabilities as we continue to grow our mm-hmm. business. And so being able to look back at that and say, oh, you know what? Either that wasn't so bad or we got over it or those issues weren't as big as I thought they were at the moment is also kind of therapeutic to be able to see the journey Mm -hmm. that we're on from founder to CEO and have some sort of documentation around that. Yeah, that's great. I think that's great. And we'll make sure we provide those questions in addition to so you don't have to keep hitting replay back to capture them all in the show notes. I think the other thing we want to offer if those listening have questions or thoughts they want to share to use the hashtag talent magnet podcast or leave some comments on our blog. And we'll make sure we filter that both to Todd and field some of those ourselves. As I know, just at the end of the day, if you cover those journaling questions and start, don't overinflate the 360. Yes. Just do it. Just do it. Right. Just ask questions. You know, that can really help us all be more successful, whether you're a founder or your CEO or you're just a leader running a function, or you have your own business and you don't have an employee yet. That's right. right. And the beauty about, we've been really excited about this journey so far to have listeners from 15 different countries. And no matter where you are, these questions all apply. Yeah. Right? No matter where you are in the world or in your career, these questions apply. If you're, you know, if you stay home, these questions apply. Right? So thank you so much for sharing that. Todd, I really appreciate you being here today. If you were to add one other thing for our listeners to walk away with, anything else you would share that we haven't covered today? You know, I think I would just remind everyone that it is a journey. Problems and issues are always going to come up. It's how we respond to them that helps to develop our character over the course of time. Mm -hmm. And if we look at the very long perspective, we'll realize that a lot of the issues and problems that we as business leaders, as founders, as CEOs of major corporations, the issues that we think are really big right now, sometimes in hindsight are not as big. And so to remind ourselves that it's okay. It's a journey. Things are going to happen along the way. Expect that there are bumps along the road Mm -hmm. and you won't be as disappointed when they come along and you have to kind of slay another problem dragon. Thanks so much. So again, we encourage everyone to begin following if you're not already following from founder to CEO and join the journey that I've enjoyed being on the last three years. You've had the podcast for three years, I believe. I know. It's crazy. Yeah. And we look forward to our next conversation. Todd, thank you to our listeners. We hope you gained a lot of benefit from the conversation today and make it a great rest of your day. And we look forward to our next conversation. Thanks for having me, Mike. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. A toxic work culture can be costlier than you can imagine, but hard to identify. Go to talentmagnetinstitutepodcast.com slash toxic culture to learn seven signs that there's something you need to fix in your workplace. 
The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is powered by Centennial, a talent strategy and executive search firm, and the Talent Magnet Institute. You can engage with us at Talent Magnet I on Twitter or Talent Magnet Institute on LinkedIn and Facebook. Please communicate by using hashtag Talent Magnet. Find us in your favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and leave a review, as well as share with a colleague. You can also listen at talentmagnetpodcast.com. Our podcast studio is based in greater Cincinnati, Ohio. We are supported by our listeners, clients, and partners from all over the world. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is made possible by a great team that includes Janelle Spence and Christine Lewis of Centennial, Josh Chappelle and Adam Smith of Soundpress, produced by Chris Madine of New Fidelity Studios, and Audra Casino and Megan Doherty of One Stone Creative. Music written by DJ Corbett and Chris Madine. And myself, your host, Mike Zippel Jr. Thank you for joining us on the journey of developing leaders to succeed in relationships, work, community, and life, reframing success in leadership.